Good evening, it's 8 o'clock. This is Thursday, the 29th of April, 2021. This is Show 31, Learning Environments, Extra Pearls of Wisdom. It's Professor Stephen Heppel, Part 2. This is Seeds of Creativity, live on LearnRadio.net. And a very good evening to you listeners. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. It's good to have your company. The system is fully operational this evening. If you want to text us, 07800 26400. If you want to go to the Padlet, we are learnradio.net forward slash contact. And you'll find the whole show page. Let me try that again. You'll find the whole show page with everything that you need to contribute to this evening's conversation, including a live player on learnradio.net forward slash Stephen Heppel. He's got his own website now. He's been here so long. We've got his own domain website on there. My goodness. Uh, We are thrilled, folks. Absolutely thrilled to be hosting uh, the lovely Stephen Heppel once more. We just did not have enough time to fit in this topic and it is just a testament to the topic genre and it is essential that we continue that conversation. So thank you very much indeed. Welcome back to the show, Uh, Stephen. Maria, I'll leave it on to you now. Thank you very much, Russell. So, yes, welcome back to part two of our Pearls of Wisdom, an extra edition, which began last week. And now last Thursday, we began the most fascinating conversation with Professor Stephen Heppel. And there was just so much to talk about, like Russell said, um, you know, regarding learning environments that we asked him back again this week. Now, we were learning last week about the Learnometer that Professor Heppel has created and how high levels of CO2 affects learning and concentration. Now, for me, I know that opening my windows daily seems to have made, I mean, it's incredible the, the impact it's had on me and my work, you know, even in the space of just one week. And, you know, I've obviously I've had my plants for two weeks in my workspace and that seems to be working quite well because at the moment I'm teaching and broadcasting remotely. And although I'm exercising daily, you know, my concentration levels and my ability to focus you know just slowly declines it's like a hot little balloon that just said it just goes you know and it's noticeable but now when I leave the room just you know even to make a cup of tea or go somewhere else I'm opening the windows wide so when I return there's a better level of O2 I feel a lot better I can concentrate more I mean it's it's incredible you know even since you know last week just the one week this has had you know can you imagine colleagues the impact this is going to have on your learning environments and the and your classrooms i mean russell how, how has it made an impact to you during ah, this last week great idea well i moved the healthy ficus into the studio and i'm opening the door more often it's not something you want to do in a studio you want as much soundproofing as possible but i can tell you that has made a refreshing difference so the one takeaway element from last week was that windows are good but doors are better and I love that that was priceless that was the professor at his most spectacular best I love that bit of advice and I really took that as a very meaningful bit of information there Maria and it's so simple because you know you can impact it immediately you know you can go into your work environment tomorrow into your classrooms just implement this and the change you know is is huge so coming up in the show we'll be continuing to speak to award-winning and legendary educator professor stephen heppel who will be talking about his extensive research into creating and cultivating that optimal learning environments now russell how can our listeners get involved with the conversation this evening well it's easy peasy we've got a show page where everything is available there the players the listen again and the way to comments as well just head to the show page go to learnradio.net forward slash 
Stephen Heppel. That's all you need, or you can click on the next live show button on the top of our menu on any of our pages. And from there, you'll see questions are posted, and we'd like you to write on our padlets. And you don't need to register for that. It's an easy-peasy, fabulous app. It works across all platforms and on mobile devices. Really, really good. And we're just going to put pop our question up this evening. So what changes uh, would uh, have made uh, a different... Um, sorry, but let me just try that again. What changes have you made to your learning environments that have made a difference to learning? And you could base that on what's happened from your last show that you've listened to. If you're a first-time listener this evening, you are very welcome to the show. Thanks indeed for joining us. Uh, we use these padlets here. Use the pink circle in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, pop your name in the top box and then below it, your question, your observation, and then click on the background, folks. And it'll then be approved by us and we can share it with the world. Now, we always ask our guests to choose some tracks and we love playing them. We got through two of them last week, I have to say, and we're going to go go through another two this week. And before we haven't officially introduced the man himself, but I have to ask you, Stephen, um, uh, Men at Work, talk me through this one. <coughs> well, all, all the tracks I chose have got a bit of a theme, really. Yes. The theme is really about people not being taken seriously enough, you know, tending to be a lot better than everybody expected and the um, the who with my generation, you know, and uh, that is a golden generation. And then um, the men at work, I'm a sailor, I'm an obsessive sailor. The America's Cup, we've just been going through yet another America's Cup battle down in Auckland. But um, for over a century, the Americans won the America's Cup every single time it was competed for and along came a bunch of brash, um, wonderful sailors from Australia, led by um, John Bertram, the great Olympic dinghy sailor, with a boat that was um, spectacularly designed. It had little wings on the keels, and my goodness, it flew. And uh, the Americans didn't know what to make of them, really, and they left the harbour every morning with an enormous red, uh, green and gold flag up with a boxing kangaroo on it, and they played this um, song, Men at Work, from a land down under, and it just put shivers down the spines of everybody watching. And uh, we'd seen them come back in on the last day, having won the last race in the last possible best way. Uh, and by the way, they, you know, it didn't look as though they were going to win it. Um, seeing them come back into the harbour with the flag flying and this tune playing. Uh, doesn't get better than that, you know. To be honest, I couldn't tell you where I was when Kennedy got shot, but I could tell you exactly where I was when um, Australia too slipped ahead of Dennis Connor and won the America's Cup for the first time outside of America. So it's a wonderful track. It's a bit of an anthem for me, really. A radio station project created by Ian Rocky and Russell Pru to reach pupils and young people at home and at school during the COVID crisis. Bringing you a broad range of cross-curricular topics, author readings and fun activities to fill your day. Our shows are free to air although we do have some premium content that's available for just £6. Visit our shop to find out more. You can also book us for an afternoon live radio show for your school. LearnRadio.net is powered by Anderton Tiger Broadcasting who also design and make radio stations for schools. Find out more about Russell's work at www.andertontiger.com. You're listening to Maria and Russell. This is the Seeds of Creativity live show on learnradio.net. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us. It is now 11 minutes past eight and you're joining us live. And our guest this evening is Professor Stephen Heppel, who is Professor at the Felipe Segovia Chair of Learning Innovation at the Universidad Camilo José Cela in Madrid. He's also Emeritus. Thank you very much. He's also Emeritus Professor Chair in the New Learning Environments at Anglia Ruskin University and the Executive Chairman for Learning Possibilities Plus. Good evening, Professor, and welcome back to the show. Oh, hello. <laughs> that was very good. It's very, it's very, very hard. Thank you. It's, it's my Spanish words. <laughs> that, thank goodness that my parents sent me to Spanish school because I'm bilingual, you see. So of all the oh, times they sent me when I was a teenager, I didn't want to go. It's obviously stood me in good stead. So thank you very much for joining us again. Now, following on from our conversation we started with you last week, Stephen, we know that research-based evidence can affect learning, especially with young food, the young food, um, the young the young people's food that they eat. Can you talk us through your research on brain foods? Yes, I can. And it's, um, uh, to be fair, it's not mine. It's the children's in, in Spain. I just kind of kicked them off and got them going. And have been the kind of grandfather of the project. So we uh, we were thinking about um, in sport, if you were about to do the 100 metres final in uh, Japan in the Olympics, you would know what to have for breakfast and you'd know what to have for dinner the night before when to load with pasta or when to not and it seemed a bit funny to us that we go into high stakes exams that can matter for the rest of your life you know and nobody even tells you whether you should have breakfast let alone what you should have for breakfast and in Spain it's particularly a problem because they eat very late as I think you'll know if you've been out there mm-hmm. a lot and so people sort of get up, rush to school, grab a glass of milk um, or a piece of fruit, and that's it. And so we thought, well, I wonder what you should have. So we did a lot of literature search, and um, for about 18 months, actually, it was a vast, huge amount of stuff, you know, and tried to pin down the foods that were best for your brain. Now, that's quite a complicated thing, because to do well in exam, you know, you you need to be able to remember, you could recall, you've got to be able to remember stuff. So the caffeine is bad for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, caffeine will wreck your short-term memory. But what makes your short-term memory better, you know, and then you need resilience. You've got to keep writing. It's a two-hour, hour and a half, three-hour, whatever exam. And the pressure's on, you've got to keep going. And actually, you need a tiny bit of optimism as well. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a complicated mix, and you need to be hydrated. But you don't want to just drink water because it'll go straight to your bladder and then you spend the last half hour of the exam wondering about whether you should go for a wee or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a complicated thing. It's, it's a lot, learning's a lot harder than the 100 metres dash. But we got very clear guidance on what the foods were. And there were some of them we know because they're good for well-being as well. So um, obviously things like olive oil, um, turmeric, um, nuts, um, some berries, uh, you know, they're reasonably well described uh, in the literature, but we fought all the time to make sure what we were recommending was good for your brain rather than good for your body. I mean, mm. the back door of all this was that kids became obsessed by it, ended up eating the best food for their brains, and in doing so, got a well-being gain as well. But 
we went a bit further. We then thought, okay, let's take all those ingredients and see if we can make some wonderful recipes with them. Spain is awash with the most glorious food, um, the best pilot in the world and so on. So we developed some recipes and we had a mixture of people doing the recipes, children themselves, some grandmothers. Grandmothers always have great recipes, mm -hmm. school caterers and uh, a, a Michelin-starred chef, you know. So we had a, a good mixture of people saying, how might you use the ingredients? And meanwhile, we were saying, you've got to make sure when you use the ingredients, you don't damage the bit. That's good for your brain. You know, if you mm. if you cook with the olive oil and get it too hot and burn it, those antioxidants aren't going to be helping the blood to whiz around your brain. So it was a complicated thing. The girls just flew with it. And these are uh, early secondary age girls. And uh, they've now got, they've got a YouTube channel. They've published a really great um, booklet. We've now got a, um, we're now back talking to our Michelin chefs, not because they say, oh, we can do a better recipe, you know, but because they're interested in what the girls are doing with their recipes. I think the the least good thing in there probably was my recipe for avocado chips, which mm. um, I was kind of, well, actually, I think they're pretty tasty, um, but they're probably not the most delightful looking things on a plate of delicious Spanish food, you know. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to try but, um, that. that. That sounds amazing. Well, if I, if I send you the link to the recipe book, you can stick it up on the website and everybody can go there and help Thank themselves. You. It's not kind. gone off around the world. Schools around the world are now doing My best moment was obviously the school catering company, I suggest, were part of all this. And the, the, the meeting when we invited them to come to our meetings, they two ladies arrived in immaculate white coats with clipboards and pens, and they'd done a huge amount of reading. And you know, in one project, they went from being um, catering uh, ladies to being researchers. You know, it was mm -hmm. extraordinary, and uh, they had so much to give. And you know, and when when people start trying to put everybody in categories according to their past education experience or whatever. And these two um, women uh, were just hugely important in terms of what we knew and what we learned. And also the pragmatics of, because we changed the, the school diets, you know, mm -hmm. and the pragmatics of how easy was it to change the diet and uh, what could we do. So the whole thing was just brilliant. A community satellite, we had a parent phoned up and said, I don't know what you're doing to my son, but he's just come home, but half the fridge in the dustbin and he's told me <laughs> he needs more green food and he hasn't eaten anything green since he was seven. You know? Wow. I think <laughs> so it's so really important caught, because... It's caught their imagination. I think once the students know the importance, it's that learning about learning, the metacognition, they know why. Because I remember always on a Friday afternoon, I used to have a reflection time and a little, you know, have, have we had our superfoods? You know, have we had our walnuts, you know, dark chocolate, all of those things during the week. And, it, and because they get it, they know, they understand, it makes it a little bit more relevant rather than just saying, well, these are the brain foods that are good for you, eat them. You know, you're really doing that research, really supporting. And I think, you know, students definitely, Russell, these days, you know, it, it's it, school is everywhere, isn't it? It's not just about the building. Absolutely not. And and for many, a school isn't about a building. It's a place where learners are. And, and we've heard lots from about the benefits of forest schools, Ian, and certainly outdoor learning. What can you tell us about beach schools? 
Well, you probably ought to get um, Juliet, my daughter, on actually, because um, mm. you know she was a she was a revered secondary teacher in London and um, has decamped to the coast and now runs this glorious beach school, beachschool.org, beach school, all one word, um, for preschool kids on the beach here. And the, they do science, they do proper marine um, science, they do ecology, you know, they, they look for baby crabs. I mean, this changed the town, you know, when I walk down the town jetty and the kids and the visitors are catching crabs because that's what they do as they haul them up they're saying well if you turn it over you can see there's a, a triangle underneath that crab it'll be a boy and look that one's got sheltering some eggs oh that's a swimmer you know i mean what they know about crabs now has swept through the town the women's institute even come along for a um for a session she does sessions for their local schools it's just been wonderful and the thing I love most about it is it's reconnected children with their environment, mm. you know, with a, the old fishermen here, you know, I say an old oyster smack, you know, the old fishermen here, will, they'll tell you things like um, very often the wind will change on the top of the bottom of the tide. As the tide changes, quite often the weather changes, you know, it's a nice little practical observation, you know, and um, these kids know about the cycles, they know what's on the beach in January, on the beach in August, they know that the crabs are tastiest when they're, uh, well, actually the cod's really tasty around about February when they're eating the baby crabs. You know, they know the whole um, flora and fauna of their world in a way that I think it very nearly got lost. A lot of their parents didn't know that. And we've had, you know, old, old wise old souls popping out of the woodwork with lots of good advice, but of course, We've got great tools as well. You can buy a little handheld digital microscope these days for mm. 30, 40 pounds. So they're, you know, they're picking up the sand and they do the sort of, they do experiments like what sort of sand makes the best sand castles and why, you know. But they also look at the sand through the microscope and they say, oh, look, because the little tiny specks of red and blue sand. And of course, that's plastic that's degraded into the, um, into the environment. They go, wow, you know. And they have a big tank and the local oyster um, fisherman, Bram, who's a seventh generation oyster fisherman, you know, he, when he's dredging for oysters, he finds, oh, that's really interesting. I'll take it back for the kids. So he's dropping things in the tank, you know, sort of uh, coke jellyfish and things, you know, and they just are all over it. And it's where they live. It's where they live. And you suddenly realize, of course, that kids learning out of doors, I mean, of course, they get into better light and that. You know, the better oxygen and the CO2 mm. is nowhere and the mm. TVOCs are down at zero, you know. But but also, they're learning about the world they live in. And now, you know, everywhere they go, their eyes are doing learning. Uh, you don't just wait till you get to school and do that. I had some wonderful um, images. I was doing some assemblies for schools in Islington a little while back, and I showed them pictures of kids on their journeys to school, you know, all over the world. And the journeys are just traumatic, you know climbing across rock faces, swinging across a river on a, a lorry in a tube, the blinking hippos in the river, you know. <laughs> and they do all that, and then they get to school, go and sit in the classroom, get out a textbook, and start learning. And actually, the you know, the two-hour journey to school was probably richer as a source of science, you know, and physics, and learning and communication and teamwork than they'll ever get in the classroom. So they spend two hours getting to learning, do learning, and then spend two hours getting home and the four hours coming in, 
going in and coming back, you know, would be a, a much richer source of learning. So I think, I mean, I think we were saying last time, learning's escaping from its boxes, you know, yeah. and, uh, he's escaped onto the beach and into the woods and into the, the gardens and the grounds, you know, in a lovely way. Brilliant. And where do the children go from there? Is is there a beach school senior? Is there a, is it an all through, or was she just focused on the very early years at the moment? Well, she she's focused on the very early years. And if you were listening to Joe Biden yes. last night, he was saying loud and clear, you know, how important those early years are. Absolutely. In laying foundations right the way through, and we know that kids who you know start doing learning and understand science and you know, they're building taxonomies in their brains. I mean, you you know, your brain um, notices things, but it it builds patterns. You know, if you're um, if you're driving um, your car still, you don't, don't know who is anymore, but if you're driving your car and you see a mum by the road with a, a dog and there's a kid and the kid is 20 yards ahead of the mum and the dog's off a lead and there's a bus coming, you slow down because your brain puts all that together and says, I've been here before, I've seen the dog run and I've seen a kid chase the dog and I've seen a bus and I've put all that together, that looks like danger to me, I'll slow down. You know, that that ability to take the cues and clues of our life and turn it into knowledge and then act on the knowledge, you know, is, is a lot of what learning is all about. So, you know, kids are learning out the doors and they're learning on the beach and they're... I mean, my two granddaughters take twice as long to walk to school now because there's so much to see on the way and that's because they've got trained eyes you know and they they have a taxonomy of biology you know and it's a very good thing love it absolutely love it there um, still so much more to come from the professor folks this evening on the show i'm really enjoying these and uh, we've got some questions that are stacking up thank you so much indeed on the padlet really really good um this is just absolutely brilliant and it's all about how to make the optimum uh, impact of your learning spaces as well uh, maria what's our second question this evening thank you russell i mean this is just a fascinating discussion I'm, I'm loving every second of it and we would like you colleagues to um this is your perfect opportunity to ask professor heppel about any questions about learning environment what we talked about last week with about the co2 or the optimum learning spaces or about the beach schools or about the food absolutely anything and also to comment you know what have you heard this evening that's had an impact on you you know and you can use the contact padlet to share your questions just press that pink circle with the add button and write in your comment and to give you some time to make your responses we have some music to help sow those seeds of creativity russell what do we have next for our listeners well to enjoy? i'm not going to do the intro because because this one needs a full explanation. Um, I have an Ultra Lab version. Now you have to put that in context, um, uh, Stephen. I have to say a really interesting piece of music. Just talk us through this just before I play it, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the quick version. But back at the um, the end of the eighties, we produced some lovely software in the in the lab, and it allowed children to listen to music and to snip little pieces out of it and effectively paint and do a little painting. Hmm with the, you know, the few notes that they were listening to. And the perfect piece of music to give away was um, Carnival of the Animals, Sanson's lovely um, evocative piece. So we thought, great, let's, let's record that. And then we, we brought a full orchestra into the lab. We got them all set up and um, lovely conductor, his personal friend. He was barely through the hens and cocks when people started digging up the road outside, you know. and proper loud and so we rushed out we tried to bribe them i offered the money you know to not do it 
but it's more than my job's worth, mate, you know. So that was the end of our recording. So then we, we said, don't worry, and off our conductor went to Czechoslovakia, where he was performing. He said, I'll put the, I'll put the carnival of the animals into the, um, into the repertoire. So he put it in, recorded it, rushed back, proudly gave us the recording. It was beautiful, but it was recorded on stretchy, cheap Czechoslovakian tape. And it was unusable. So we only had a couple of days left. You know? So I said to Chris Popat, who's one of my um, collaborators in the lab, I said, Chris, you're going to have to do a MIDI version, mate. You know? I said, oh, okay. He was a very good musician. So he put the whole thing together in MIDI, and uh, we couldn't find the decent cello. We could not find the voice of a cello that was beautiful enough to do justice to Sanson Swan. So he took a couple of violas, put them about just a half a pitch apart, dropped them down an octave, and, and made the most beautiful cello you've ever heard, really. It's entirely fake, but it's gorgeous. And the great thing about it was he could then go on having produced the music to produce a thing for kids to say, this is how I turn the the robotic MIDI into something beautiful. I did glissandos here. I put interpretation here. So, you know, the job he'd done became a teaching job, of course. And every time I play this, which is at least once a week, let me tell you. Wow. I just remember all that. Everything, everything leads us back to learning, Russell. It is fantastic. It's the most gorgeous piece of MIDI music I've heard for a long time. And how many years ago did you do this? This is quite this is quite old, this track, isn't it? Oh, 1989, I think it was. <sighs> you were ahead of your time. This is gorgeous. Enjoy this track, folks.
folks. If you've just joined us, you are not listening to Classic FM, and the time is 28 minutes to nine. That was stunning. This is Seeds of Creativity, live on LearnRadio.net. Thank you. So you are joining us live with Professor Stephen Heppel, and we're talking about learning environments. We've got more of those extra pearls of wisdom. So, Professor, we've got a question from Simon. Simon says, love your guest this evening. Thank you for bringing Stephen Heppel to the show. Well, thank you very much. Um, We wanted to have him back. There was so much more to talk about. And he would like to ask you, how could he convince his head teacher with all the wonderful things that you're sharing? How could he convince them? Well, um, my middle daughter is a head teacher and... um so I know how hard head teachers have been working for the last year and uh, they're pretty near total exhaustion at this mm-hmm. point and they've been absolutely flipping heroic. So the last thing you need to do is to say, right, we're going to take the whole school, put a plant in every, <laughs> all the plants in every classroom and we're going to open the doors. Of I mean, just get a couple of enthusiastic teachers to try out, as you and Russell were saying at the start of all this, get those windows open, get those doors open, get those plants in and you will notice the difference straight away. You'll notice it in terms of behaviour. Very, very hard to be an engaged child in the room that's too hot, too dark. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there in the corner, gassed by your own emissions. You know, it's it's pretty hard, pretty hard to stay focused. And, you know, they will see straight away the difference. So working in our local school, my granddaughters go to, and immediately there's that sort of sense of awareness of noise as being, you know, something that's for the children to, to monitor, not for the teacher. You know, children have a decibel meter, an old iPad or something, with it, you know, just flicking up and down, telling them how loud the class is. The minute they see the decibel readings, they're able to respond by being quieter. And you have a couple of kids uh, on noise monitors for the day and somebody else the day after. And of course, that, uh, that awareness is developed, that reflective practice. Kids can control their own noise, but it's very hard when you just say, that's too loud, what's too loud, you know? Mm-hmm. But when you've got a needle and uh, it says, well, that's 72 decibels isn't bad, but 82 decibels is twice as loud as 72 decibels, double every 10, you know, they can see and they know the impact of that noise. So, yeah, just get try out some of these little ideas in one or two classrooms and it spreads like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is like giving out chocolate to people who've never tasted it. Go, mm-hmm. Oh, it looks a bit brown. I'm not sure. And then, oh, this <laughs> is great. Having some of this, you know, and off they go. Off they mm-hmm. go. And when teachers say to me, as happened here with one of the projects, they said, if the names of those children weren't the same on the register, I would not believe they were the same children. Mm, then, you know, you're getting through, you know. Mm, I mean, it's just, and it's walking the walk, you know, it's it's finding out this information, it's putting it into practice and, th- and then demonstrating. Isn't that right, Russell? Absolutely. It's the only way forward, really. I love the idea of starting small, getting some um, um, some uh, keen members of staff there. I mean, I, I don't suppose every child needs to bring a plant in. You could just do that with a, a few in a, in a classroom and just see it. And I think when folks see it working, well, it's quite, they can... I mean, it's, it's, it's actually... Yeah. Yeah, so in a class, it's quite, you're trying to hit, you know, you're trying to do BYOP. You are trying to hit one plant per kid, bring your own plant. And that roughly does the job of balancing out the CO2 from their lungs, you know. And they want to be, you know, a plant that's about as high as a milk bottle, you know, that sort of size. 
um, and then let them grow. And of course, the kids become interested in the nutrients, and they, you know, they all name their plants, and they become quite competitive actually. But of course, the, you know, the aloe vera doesn't need much watering, but the spider plants do. So there's a lot of. But I mean, thirty plants is just, you know, it's just five by six plants on a wall. Yeah. And you take an old door, and just put little, just put um, just so little straps on the door and the, the flower pots go in the straps and it doesn't take up any room in the classroom at all really or you can have a, an old book trolley you know and just put a couple of um a bits of plywood on either side and put 15 plants on either side five by three you know it's a, it makes just a real difference and by the way you know the numbers if you start you go and sort out the rooms you're doing your sats tests or your exams or your you know anything where their results are particularly important. Uh, you'll see the numbers. I mean, the you know we talk about eighteen to twenty-one degrees being ideal for learning. By the time you get to about twenty-three degrees, it's a significantly noticeable difference in terms of performance, hmm. and the line is straight wow. from there. Every degree the temperature goes up, performance goes down by a fixed proportion. So you've got kids sitting in an exam room at 26 degrees. You kind of might as well walk around the room and just tear the back page off their scripts <laughs> and put it in the bin. You know, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Wow. Amazing. Just amazing. Uh, Jem's been in contact. Loving the chat this evening. Thank you so much indeed, Jem. And uh, Julie says, I'll uh, just do another one. Julie says, fantastic show. Can't wait uh, for next week. This is obviously last week's one. I hope you're enjoying it, Julie. And thank you so much indeed for your message. Maria, what else do we have? Thank you, Russell. So Jazz would say she would really like the recipe link, please. It's a really good show. Thank you. So we, we've got that link, haven't we? We have Russell? got that link and we'll paste it up on the show page, Jazz, and I'll put something in the Padlet there just as soon as I can. I'm going to try and do that whilst we're currently on air. So I'll share that with you in a minute. I'm going to host it and share the file with you anyway. Uh, that's really good. Maria, another one? Thank you. And Megan would like to ask, she said her, her school is near the coast and I'd like to do something with a beach school focus. Who would be the best person to contact? Oh, well, for sure, Juliet. Um, uh, Juliet at heppel.net, H-E-P-P-E-L-L. -L, and she's Juliet as in the opera, not the play. So she's E-T-T-E, Juliet, at the end. And um, I think, Russell, you were talking about having her on anyway. I think that would be a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, huge I'll, I'll probably have to go through an agent that, now. She's going to be in demand. I can't believe. Uh, it's a lovely <laughs> idea. We did look at the website because you gave us a heads up on that. Absolutely stunning stuff. And she's such an enthusiastic colleague. I mean, she, I first met her when she was uh, testing the shoeless school concept in her school. And, and that was amazing. It was lovely to go. I went and did a live radio show with her and her class. Absolutely amazing. So I can just guess how great great this is i really can absolutely amazing yeah i mean i think there's a distinction here between you know the, a lot of the forest schools do lovely stuff with kids doing outdoor activity and climbing trees and making fires and so on but the, the beach school thing is really heavily about marine science these are little kids yeah doing big kid science and absolutely loving every minute of it and understanding every blink of it you know we've got We've got two-year-olds there at the moment as well as some of the bigger preschool kids and they're lapping it up absolutely lapping of course the mums love it too and the grandmas come along you know and the town we're reflecting it's only just restarted obviously after covid the town reflected it's lovely to see the kids back on the beach studying with them they're walking around with their bug boxes and 
so excited to show you what they've seen. You know, it's a it's a joyful thing for a small community. It really is. Really is. Absolutely brilliant. Maria, would you get the next one question for me? Yes, thank you. And so Maya would like to ask, does Professor Heppel visit schools or do online visits to give some training? Do you do that, Stephen? Well, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, and, and I particularly enjoy going online and talking to a class of kids who are thinking about doing some of this. And sometimes that's a free thing. Sometimes I have a charge a little bit for it, but it's not a you know, it's not a um, not an expensive thing, and very often we do it for free. What I really like, actually, is joining up kids in two different countries, and then you know they both have a bit of a compare. I'm building a school in the Riyadh at the moment in Saudi Arabia, and I'm building another one in Cork. You know, well, you couldn't imagine mm. two more different places, but they're all full of kids. You know, and they have little sort of cultural nuances, and it's only when they see another school, like in in Riyadh. They traditionally have black blinds on the windows. It's a cultural thing, the colour, you know. But of course, black is a disastrous colour, really, because the sun heats up the black and it's like mm. having a radiator on every window. And then they they see the cork kids and they will hang on a minute, you know. Mm -hmm. We got white blinds, you know. So it's lovely to see um, kids working with each other. And by the way, there's another one of those simple things you can do in the classroom. You just you go out and buy four clocks or three clocks and you know, you can buy them for tuppence online these days, but buy the ones that are radio controlled. And then when you put the batteries in, they all go to they all go to midday, 12, everything. Mm. And you just move the hour hand on each clock to be a time zone. So you know, oh, that one's in um, that one's in Dubai, that one's in uh, New York, that one's in Australia, you know. Mm. And then you don't have to touch them ever again. They keep exact time, but when the kids look up, you know, they become aware of the fact that other children in the world on the same line of longitude are pretty much having, you know, you're having breakfast. Well, so are the folk in mm. Johannesburg because they're on your they're on your time zone. Or, you know, you want somebody to do your project urgently. So you go to bed, you pass it on to somebody west of you, you pass it on to New York, they pass it to San Francisco, they pass it to Hawaii, Japan, India, Eastern Europe and home, you know, while you've been in bed, six other schools have been doing it. Kids, kids need to understand latitude and longitude because mm. that's those are the dimensions they're working in, you know. So nothing better than sending kids, show each other your own classrooms or show mm. each other your own toilets, you know. That's, <laughs> that's a kid's love to show off how bad the toilets are, you know. <laughs> And these are such. Oh, By the way, there's a COVID thing, which is. Yes, yes, that's what I wanted. I was say, there's a COVID thing, which is. It's a COVID thing, which is you do need to put seats on the toilets in your schools. Yes. Um, lids, lids on the seats. Because when you flush those toilets, the um, the, the plume of, um, of well, moisture droplets, for want of a better description, goes about five or six metres. So, uh, you know, every time a toilet gets flushed, which actually with kids isn't very often because they're, they're terrible at flushing the toilets, but <laughs> when they do flush it, it's a bad thing. So just get down to B&Q and spend, you know, 30 quid and put put lids on all your toilet seats and get the kids into the habit of shutting. Why it matters is because it helps them to think about those invisible uh, mm. plumes of uh, mm. of infectious material. You know, it's a you know it's a it's a reminder every time they go to the toilet that this is a dangerous place we're in and we're still in that pandemic. You know, toilet lids heard it here first. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is a fascinating conversation, Stephen, because, you know, this is, um, I know that colleagues will be starting to plan, you know, for their September insets. So, you know, getting in contact with you, you know, it, you know, is, this is the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, what, what, I, what, I, what I did with Islington, by the way, I went to visit a number of schools in Islington, those were the days, you know, and, and went around with a group of children and then wrote a little summary of what I thought was worth looking at in the school and then got all the teachers together from the whole area in a cinema for an afternoon and, and just talked about what I'd heard. And there were always surprises. One of the things um, I heard in almost every school interesting it was oh yeah we used to do that mm. um and i heard that so often you realize how often the things we used to do and value got crowded out by you know all sorts of impositions on our time and so on but oh yeah we used to have a robotics club oh yeah we used to um, mm. dot 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 you know and that was a real reminder to and a lot of those things had got lost when the person in charge left you know mm. and nobody passed on the pattern so Everybody went off to think about succession and the past a little. It was lovely. It was really nice, you know. So, yeah, schools want to get together. That's even more fun. Thank you. And it's really interesting because you've done some um, research on design classrooms. Can you share what you found out about the impact that had on learning? Yeah, I mean, the, um, you know, I think we talked before about the importance of zoning, of having that, you know, carousel of activities. So you move around the class because we know that movement has a big impact on your um, body. You know, it moves the blood around your body more if you move. And um, so, you know, if you've got a classroom with a, you know, a space for concerted single focus activity, I just want to get my head down and work. That's a good thing. If I want to work, collaborate with two others. I did a little sort of round coffee table type thing. We can, two of the three of us can, Sit at. If I want to rehearse my presentation, I've got a little miniature screen over there with a table in front of it. Two or three of us can test it out of that. So, you know, building a classroom there has zones, and mm. the zones themselves signal the sort of learning activities that might be going on. And then, as you design your 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 day's activity, you know, you have a sort of carousel. So they're expected to move around and do three of the four activities or whatever. That works really well. I mean, a big part of this is about surprising the children a little. I mean, we're trying to prepare children to go into a world that's full of surprises. You know, we weren't we weren't expecting um, Trump. You know, we weren't expecting mm. global um, climate catastrophe to come at us quite as quickly as it has. You know, every every um, parameter is sort of hitting the boundaries, hitting the envelopes. You know. We weren't expecting all the planes to be grounded by a volcanic ash cloud a few years ago, remember? We sure as hell weren't expecting the pandemic. Although I have to say, I was. I wrote to the Department of Education, said, I think we're in danger of either terrorism or a pandemic. We we really need a sort of civil defence ability to abandon schools for, for a month or two, you know, while it all gets cleared up. And uh, here's how we do it. And they wrote back, that, that was in 2016, they wrote back to me and said, we don't see the danger. <laughs> mm. Well, welcome, welcome to the danger. Look outside the window, you know. Mm. Um, but but if you surprise children, it helps them to cope with a world that isn't, you know, choose this timetable, eleven thirty, and seating plan. I'm sitting next next to Russell, and the bell's going to ring at 
Who is the crazy person who thought you could ring a bell and expect a thousand teenagers to be simultaneously hungry? I mean, chief, most parents will tell you they can't even get two to be hungry at the same time. You know, so what was all that about? You know, so trying to trying to surprise the children a little, I love, and um, a lot of schools around the world, as some people listening will know, do discovery days where. You come in and uh, the, the, wow, we weren't expecting that, you know. Mm. I was walking to a school in Tasmania. A kid came sprinting across the car park, hugged me around the knees, little tiny ankle bite, as they'd say in Australia. And she said, I just love Discovery Days. And she ran back in, ran back in the school because <laughs> she knew I was to blame for <laughs> selling the idea, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's like you get all these ideas. You get all these ideas where, you know, the children walk into school and they found a dinosaur print and, and you know, their teachers have, you know, created something like the dinosaurs come in the classroom and there's a little footprint and you have to figure out. I mean, that the eyes are just wide open I, in my, children. My, my daughter did a lovely one where she, uh, the kids came in in the morning, there's a great big box in the middle of the classroom and uh, the box said um, robot repair centre and... Um, they kind of walked up the box. What's all this, you know? And the box started talking to them, and they, wow. you know, and the box said, "I'm the robot that does all the work in the school when you go home, but I'm broken, so oh. I need you to think about all the things that happen when you're not here, and think about how we might get them done, you know." And the kid would walk up at the box and say, "Oh, hello, Kevin. We haven't seen you for ages. Glad you're back." You know, the box seemed to know them. Well, of course, the box was a Bluetooth loudspeaker in the box. But my daughter over on the teacher's <laughs> desk in the corner, just typing in whatever she wanted the box to say. And she prepared a few sentences. But they then went off and designed their own robot. So the, sadly, the first robot they designed was a marking robot. You know, you kind of put, <laughs> you put your piece of paper in the slot and it stamps it with a, a star or whatever. It comes out again. But it made them think about all the other mm. parts of their of their school. And it was the simplest thing. Not one child thought to look away from the voice to see where the voice was coming from. They just all looked into the, looked at the box, you know. And the and the the, the robot, by the way, was called Tobor, which is robot backwards. So there are lots oh, of little like things it. for them to discover. Um, yeah, it was a lovely thing. But teachers are full of these good ideas. But I really like the the whole school one. And I just want to say, I don't know how many people listening have tried breaking world records with their school. But it's the, just the most brilliant thing. Uh, first time I did it, we were in, I was thinking in residence in Mark Oliphant College, in, uh, which is an all through, you know, grave, mm. grave two, I mean, birth, birth to grave um, school. What is it they say in America? Worm, sperm to worm, that's right. <laughs> what a ghastly <laughs> phrase. <laughs> but um, it's an all through school and it's a tough area. And um, we, we, the kids were, their self esteem was down on the floor, really. We wanted to give them something to pick them up and say, hey, you guys, you know, you're special. So we broke a world record and we gave the job to the parents to pick one because teachers are too busy to do this. And to be a Guinness Book of Records record breaker, you need um, quite a lot of parents turn up with a clipboard and they watch this 15 and you watch those 15 and we did synchronized clapping. So we've wow. doing. You know, and uh, everybody did it for the tiny ones. The big ones said, oh, we don't need to do all that. But they turned up. They'd obviously been rehearsing, you know. Everybody took it seriously. We had a, 
uh, a drone flew overhead so we could see them all down on the ground. It was just the most glorious thing. And they broke the world record, of course, because it was a big school. And um, the next day I was walking around, walking up to kids and saying, oh, excuse me, aren't you a world champion? Could I just shake your hand? You know? And of course, mm. every kid was a world record holder and they, they never looked back. They never looked back from there. The, the whole kind of community just picked themselves up by their bootstraps and off they went. And um, by the way, the numbers, you know, I love data. So when we started, I think we had 4% of children that had qualified for university places. And I think it was about something like 34% graduated high school, which meant they got to 18 before they left. Mm -hmm. And uh, the year I left, I was only after three years of of helping them. I was only a visiting helper, you know. But uh, we had 100% graduated high school and 44% had university places. Mm Three-year turnaround, you know. And a huge amount of that was just building self-esteem, building better spaces for learning. They had big open classrooms with family learning tables. And if one of you started slacking off, the others would all give them a hard time. You know, they wanted to be champions. Mm -hmm. And it all started really with um, being world champions. So give the book to your parents and say, before Christmas, we're going to break a world record. And uh, and it's so easy. So, so, so easy. And these are these are moments that you never forget as a young person, you know, as we we all have had those moments, haven't we, Russell, where Absolutely. you remember something you've done as a child and it has an impact on you. Always, always it does. And often you need a, an innovative colleague who's prepared to bend the rules and do something differently. Um, you've t- kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, uh, Stephen, about the classroom and the moving and the zones I like very much. But I wanted to just draw you into the topic of fidgeting because lots of colleagues, um, lo- lots of young we've kind of seen an increase in this in in uh something to do with the attention span i mean you can measure it i'm sure there's some scientific uh terms for that as well but that seems to be on the increase that children are quite restless and want to fiddle with stuff and and that's quite difficult and alien for colleagues to deal with yes it is and yes it's very good for the kids so let's be quite precise about this um kids sitting upright on a chair with their spine to thigh angle at 90 degrees. And the teachers often say, you know, in our school, we sit up straight and don't fidget. Sitting up straight, it's poor circulation. The blood doesn't go around your body very well. And if you watch kids, they tend to slump. They stick their legs out in front. They lean back and they straighten their body. And if, you, if you're if you interested in the maths, they tend to go to about 130 degrees. That's very, and that's pretty optimal for them, really. So uh, kids, you know, leaning back. And school chairs don't let them do that very well. Chairs, of course, have been chosen by the caretaker because they stack well. They haven't been chosen because they're good for learning, you know, which is a bit unfortunate. The caretaker's probably the last person to go to for pedagogy tips, although they've got a lot of other strengths, you know. So fidgeting is actually turns out to be quite good. Movement is good. If, uh, If children before an exam are walking around the room right up to the moment the exam starts, Mm. they will perform better than children who sit at the desk and take a moment to collect their thoughts and then start writing. And you can look at um, functional MRI scans of their brains and you can see, Stark is a really good word, Illinois University, you can see starkly one brain is lit up with oxygen-rich activity Mm. and the other is more sedentary. So movement of fidgeting is good. Funnily enough, I mean, we built the Learnometer, started over five years ago. One of the things we're working on at the moment is um, 
putting stress cages and putting intelligence into chess. So your chair will be reminding you of the things you need to do. So the teacher might say, come on, Russell, sit up straight and don't fidget. And you'll say, yeah, I hear you, mate, but my chair's telling me something different. I'm going to trust my chair <laughs> because the chair's got strain gauges in it. It knows that you're rocking and fidgeting. There's some really nice furniture designed yeah. to be fidgety. If you look at the um, one of one of my favourites, the um, uh, hockey school stores, H-O-K-K-I, which have a domed base and they rock a little bit. You have to use your legs to stay sitting on them. So, you know, kids aren't designed to sit absolutely still, and nor are their bodies, but more importantly, nor are their brains. In a situation where the kids are absolutely still, their brains become more sedentary. We don't want that. So, yeah, let them fidget, let them fidget. Wow. But just watch them slump and watch them, watch them hear that 130 angle. It's really clear. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I wasn't expecting that. That was a, that's a, a super thing there. Thank you so much indeed for joining us this evening. It's been an absolutely incredible pleasure. Uh, where can folks connect with this? Can you just reel off some of your connections, your Twitter ID and where they can go and find some of this research? I've, I have just yes, published the food recipe book on the Padlet, folks. It's under Russell and it's a top left hand link. I've just put that on there whilst uh, Stephen's been talking. Where can we connect with you, Stephen? Well, so I've got a wonderfully chaotic website, but 25 million people were on the website last year. So there's a lot of people looking at this stuff and it's a real bottom-up revolution, I think. Um, Heppel.net, H-E-P-P-E-L-L.net. You go straight there. And um, it's a very sticky site. People tend to stay on it for a long time. My theory is they're lost, you know, but <laughs> it maybe, there's a, maybe there's a lot of good stuff there too. So you'll find plenty... There, if you go to learnometer.net, you'll find a lot of the data and the numbers from our little boxes. And if you want to buy one, that links you off to somewhere where you can buy one as well. And on Twitter, and I'm pretty active on Twitter, um, at Stephen Heppel. You just get in early to these things, you know, and you can always have your whole name. And you'll, you'll find me as Stephen Heppel everywhere, TikTok even, you know. So, uh, but Twitter and the website are the big ones. Yeah, have a look there. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, your contribution as well. I've just posted uh, question three on the Padlet, folks. Your last chance to ask a question now. What ideas will you take away from this evening's show? Well, I think the chairs, are, and I've known that for a while as well, that the chairs, because they, I mean, and they, I saw some chairs that were anti-rocking. So there was a device built into the chair to stop the children from rocking. Well, they very often have very long... The back two legs yes. often go out at a really steep angle yes. to stop you rocking. And they very successfully trip people up as they walk down the closet. They're genuinely dangerous. But you know, imagine building a chair that's dangerous just to stop children rocking when rocking makes them cleverer. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It does not go, make any sense. And it's horrific. Yeah really it is horrific and these are all just simple stuff all of this stuff's on the website of course uh, as well folks and we'd love you to get in contact with us there's still uh, a few more minutes left on the show if you want to post another message up there we'd love to read that out. Well, and one thing i should oh, yes. have said when yes. we talked about fidgeting yes. is standing works really well okay um you know kids love to kids love to stand so if you have a sort of kitchen worktop type thing which any any parent would come in and put up on the wall for you then kids could stand at that and work. You think about a Costa coffee yep. shop, other coffees are available, but some people stand and drink coffee, some people sit on sofas, some people sit around tables. That's a good measure of the different ways in which we like to work and learn, you know. So, um, and, and the, 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 one of the lovely things about all this folks listening is that 
if you have a variety of places where the children can learn in your class, nobody will ever be late again. If all the chairs are the same and you've got a seating plan, why the hell would you turn up on time? Because you're still going to be in that seat. On the other hand, if there's tiered seating and a sofa and there's different zones of activity, you get there early, you get to choose. So people always arrive early and uh, the magic, you know, one of those things you think, why doesn't everybody get told that? in training college i don't know no yeah. i don't know so i've no colleagues who um who contact their local costa or their starbucks stores and say when you're next ordering some furniture can you put a couple of sofas on for me and the prices are ridiculously cheap because when costa go out to the market they buy thousands of sofas in a go and just adding a couple more so i know some colleagues that have been able to do that these are you know far-reaching and very exciting colleagues um who, who uh, are really you know trailblazing and doing some marvelous things well, and I'd, I'd, I'd certainly also say most of your most of the offices around your schools are halving in size you know they're yes nobody again is going to go to the office every day and commute and all those other things so there's a ton of office furniture is going to be coming up okay and i, I just anywhere that's got a sign up saying um, you know, premises available. Just go in and say, "Can we have half a dozen executive chairs and a couple of nice desks?" And um, I'm just talking to Fords about um, using some of their surplus seats for an outdoor learning project. You know, so there's all sorts of people wow. who have got things they don't really need, but they're really great quality, and we'll give them to you. So, but that takes time for teachers. What you need are kids whose project is how can we make learning better? Yeah, and they'll go off and do the looking great technique absolutely great uh maria what's been your biggest impact from the show tonight listening to all of that do you know i mean the fidgeting i mean with, with mm. uh, you know as an adult with adhd myself you know it just hearing about fidgeting that it's just it's comforting you know i would never i would never say to a child you know stop fidgeting stop moving sit up straight um you know it's the children you need to move adults you need to move it's part of the learning everything is, is so important i think and knowing that you know is is just wonderful i mean i, I I'm, I'm smiling slyly because in my classrooms in the past i've had bean bags little mini tables i've had sofas you know i've just um you know gradually brought them in you know brought them in and and, and in, allowed the children to learn where they wanted to learn and yes you walk into the classroom it looks like pandemonium but everybody was learning and everybody but it was making a you know progress and it just worked so i'm i'm just sitting here just yeah, I think, I think smiling and i think there's and i think the zoning thing helps as well because it gives mm. a little bit of structure and organization to the kids so they know oh yeah if i'm in the cozy corner you know these are the expectations for my behavior mm. yeah, you know and if i'm sitting at the family learning table that's the place where we learn quietly mostly Love it. some of those things can be multifunctional you could turn a family learning table into a a harkness table there's a really nice thing called a z chair um, which i think space oasis sell yes um just google them and it's a it's like a little z and you sit on the base and then the z goes up in front of you so wherever you're sitting you've got a hard surface for writing because you know if you're sitting on a beanbag it's quite hard to do good hand good cursive handwriting but if you're sitting on a z chair on a beanbag it's really easy and it's comfy and it's good fun wow. so i recommend them they come in sets of 10 or something i can't remember Brilliant. And you've worked closely with James Clark, haven't you? Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I helped James um, a lot. We've done some fabulous things. Probably the the most fun we've had together has been doing summer, but we've done some exceptional schools. We're building schools around the world together, really. But we 
did a lot of work further in sport with the British Olympic teams, um, transforming the spaces where people learn because, you know, great athletes don't want to spend time sitting in front of a some hideous whiteboard learning set pieces, you know. And so they're often not very good. You look at Real Madrid, they're a local team to me in, in Madrid. Brilliant football players, fabulous individual skills. They're absolutely useless on set pieces. And that's because the learning um, spaces they have are not very good. Well, they are going to change. You watch them get better. Wow, that's amazing. Well, good luck for that one as well. Thank you so much, Adib. We have thoroughly enjoyed you this evening. I've, I've just an amazing, an amazing experience. I'm so pleased you very kindly came back because we need two helpings. So you always remind folks you need two helpings <laughs> uh, of you, really. We just couldn't have got through this now. So a, a marathon two hours. Uh, the podcast will be up to enjoy, folks, as many of you has done have done from the show number one. I'll get that up just as soon as I can. Thank you so, so much indeed uh, for joining us. I've really, really enjoyed it. What an amazing show as well. Uh, you better do it again then. we'll do it again next year that's really kind <laughs> or, or sooner with that but what Juliet is definitely on our target I've definitely got a note in my diary to connect with her and say hello and how's it going there as well but thank you so much indeed uh, leave us to say goodbye for now and enjoy sowing the seeds of creativity I wonder how they will grow colleagues uh, thanks again for listening we hope you enjoyed this evening's show and we're entirely self-funded if you fancy uh, showing your appreciation there is a GoFundMe link at the bottom of the show page and we're very grateful for everything you can give us that's very kind of you until next time and next time is tomorrow at five o'clock you can join maria and myself as we set the place on fire with our tgi friday thank goodness it's friday it's our banging tunes music track to your weekend and we start at five until then it's goodbye from her and it's goodbye from him That's the end of our live studio broadcast for the moment.